think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Isn't that so nice? Probably not. But it is worldview time, and I am here to tell you that redemption is always the result of God's work. Even when that work is judgment, it is judgment in the midst of redemption. So what am I talking about? I am talking about the prophetic ministry of Haggai. We are going to try to get through three of our minor prophets and thus finish the minor prophets, which will allow us to then finish the historical books and thus finish the Old Testament. Go us! So in the second year of Darius, or Darius, your choice, The king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is 520 BC. We are doing the work that God has commanded for the rebuilding of the temple. These are the exiles returning. If you have weird noises in the background, I apologize. I've got a little space heater that I've got going periodically to keep me from freezing to death so I don't have to run the gas because in this part of the world, the gas prices have almost tripled. So I'm trying to save the church as much money as possible and use a little electric heater to not freeze to death. We'll see what happens. I make no one any promises about my freezing to death. But anyway, back to the important things like Haggai. So this is an encouragement. This is a preparing to rebuild the temple for the exiles. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. In other words, Israel, let's think for a second. Why were you out of the land? Mm-hmm. Judgment. Because what? Idolatry. Sin of all shape, form, and fashion. Israel, why are you back in the land? For redemption. By who? By the work of God. Which means you should be there worshiping. In other words, change the focus. So you get to chapter 2. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who's this for? Everybody. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you. As for the promise which I made when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all the nations, and I will fill this house with... Excuse me. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Did you notice anything there? We've talked about this before. One of your, uh, I won't, maybe rules is the wrong word, but one of your guidelines you should be using when reading your Bible. Anytime, anytime, anytime you see something just hammered into you, repeated over and over again, you should probably be paying attention. Did you forget that it was the Lord of hosts who was speaking? Did you forget it was Yahweh, Yahweh of hosts who was speaking? Because if you did, in those nine verses, you were reminded like 15 times. Why, Israel? Because everything about your life is supposed to be focused upon the God who rules and reigns. Everything in your life, including the rebuilding of the temple, is meant to glorify and honor him. His work will be accomplished. Why? Because he is creator. He has preserved you unto this moment. He is your savior. And for those around you that are persecuting, those around who have forsaken, he is their judge. And he will faithfully bring all of these things into the day of completion. You can rejoice in the encouragement because God has not faltered. He has not forsaken. He has not forgotten. He has not wandered away. This is good news. So what does that mean moving forward? Well, it means that the encouragement is the work should be done and that it should be completed. So we should fast forward because we have another prophet because that's literally all Haggai is. God is not without a testimony. So you get Zechariah. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, or Darius, your choice. So again, we are still in um, second year of Darius. So we're in 520. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, son of Berechiah, son of Ido, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. There's an understatement. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You you noticing that theme again, picking up already? (coughs) Excuse me. Do not be like your fathers whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? The prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes with which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with your ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. In other words, again, exile Not like you're, in, like you're sort of in exile, but exile is in someone who's in exile. Returning, builder, worshiper, Who is in charge here? This is a big deal. By 520, the Persians are in charge. Babylonians are. Bye-bye. We've got a new empire. The ones who conquered us have been conquered. The world that we thought we had, the world that we thought we were so safe and secure in, is different. Everything has changed around us. How now do we live? And the answer is... Faithfully, observantly, remembering that the prophecies given, the warnings to the nations to repent, lest they be judged, the promises that Abraham's blessing will extend to the entire earth, the hope of the seed of the woman 
from the line of David, the prophet like Moses. All of these things coming to pass, that's where our anchor is placed. Nowhere else. These things matter because if you can't do them when the world is shaken, you don't have that hope. And that's the lesson of the exile, is a reminder that these promises are good whether the world is running peachy keen, because it's apparently 1952 in my analogies, or not. These things hold because it is God, Yahweh of hosts, who holds them. So you see the promise of protection. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him. And said to him, run, speak to the young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. In other words, all the things we're hoping for are ultimately what? A hope in the work that God will accomplish. A hope that it is God who will redeem. It is God who will uphold. It is God who will rescue. As the song says, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's not a new idea just because Jesus showed up on the scene. That's a building, a construction upon the hope of the Old Testament, upon the hope down through the ages. So you keep moving. You see the future. Listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, they are men who are a symbol for behold. I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch, the root. I will engrave, I'm sorry, for behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua on one stone are seven eyes. And behold, I will engrave an inscription upon it, declares the Lord of hosts. I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. And that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his tree. Reminder, they were waiting for that branch from Jesse, as Isaiah puts it. Again, the seed of the woman, the righteous king from the line of David. So what's the rest of the prophecy? It's about the presence of God in chapter 4. It's warnings about judgment that are coming upon sin in chapters 5 and chapter 6. Chapter 7, the warning against the people. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. So we've moved forward a couple of years. Go team. The town of Bethel had sent Sharazer and Regamelech and their men to seek the favor of the Lord, speaking to the priests who belonged to the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, saying, Shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these many years? The word of the Lord of, the, I'm sorry, the word of, the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, these seventy years, was it Actually, for me that you fasted? When you eat and drink, do you not eat for yourselves and do you not drink for yourselves? Are not these the words which the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, along with its cities around it, and the Negev and the foothills were inhabited? In other words, who are you serving? Who's in charge? 
What's the purpose of everything that you're doing? Because if it isn't God, we have a problem. This is a warning here, a reminder to check your heart. Because as Jeremiah warned the people, the heart is deceitful and wicked. As Ezekiel told them, you need a change. And God provides what? A heart of flesh to repair the heart of stone, to undo the damage that sin has wrought. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath I am jealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. It's chapter 8. It's a promise of what? Of hope of future work from God, accomplishing all that he has promised, being faithful unto all that he has decreed until the end. Remember, he picked Jerusalem. Jerusalem did not pick him. He picked Israel. Israel did not pick him. He chose Moses. Moses did not choose him. He anointed David. David did not anoint him. He rescued Abraham. Abraham did not rescue him. You see the point that's going on here. This is a reminder of who is the one who is actually at work in all of these things. Who is the one who is actually doing these things and accomplishing these things and bringing them all unto completion. Who is the one who will undo the damage, who will sanctify his people, whom he has rescued, who will bring them to a final day of completion? It is God. These are all of our pillars in action. So you see Zechariah continue. It's a warning against the nations and a promise of deliverance. You get the promise of blessing upon his people, and you also get a warning, which we can summarize in chapter 11 at the very last word, very last verse. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered, and his right eye will be blind. What's the contrast, Christian? Do you maybe understand what Jesus was talking about a little bit better when you remember things like, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is not the woeful shepherd. He is not the blind guide like the Pharisees. He is not the one who has turned away, who is broken in his sin, but rather is broken by our sin. These are the distinctions that were drawn in Jesus' ministry. This is why the people steeped in Old Testament history and an understanding of Old Testament prophecy were so quick to condemn and attempt to kill him. This is why they were so quick to try and cast him out, to get rid of him, because they recognized everything that he was saying about them was pointing to the fact that they were the broken. And they didn't want that because their pride did not allow them to see that it is God who upholds. It is God to whom they are accountable, not their conscience, but their conscience as it is guided by the heart of flesh that God has placed. And if that is not the case, then they need to call out in repentance and faith for God to change them. That's the difference. Chapter 12, the burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, <clears throat> excuse me, 
lays the foundations of the earth, forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah. While I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness, the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. In other words, the world will not surrender. The pagans will not give up simply because they are under judgment. This is the consistent refrain of human history, the warning that Jesus provides. They hated him. What do you think they're going to do to you who don't provide food out of thin air, who don't raise the dead, who don't heal the sick, who don't cast out the demons? What are they going to do to you because you can't give them anything that they want in this world? That becomes the problem. So you get judgment and hope in 13, and you get the promise of God in the end, in the last chapter. The Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, in his name, the only one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate, from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it, and there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Why? Because God will be a fire around it, Zerubbabel, as Haggai has promised, because God will uphold his promises. His word will go forth and accomplish all that he has commanded, as Isaiah promised. <clears throat> he will bring what is broken to life, as Ezekiel has promised. He will inaugurate a new covenant, as Jeremiah has promised. He will judge all the nations, as Daniel has promised. You see the recurring theme. There's nothing new here for these prophets. So let's fast forward. Let's go to the end here, the very last prophet of the Old Testament. This is a little bit out of our chronological order, but I think it's important because this is what's going to usher in the silence that leads to John the Baptist. The great Italian prophet Malachi, you know, I'm kidding, it's Malachi. A son honors his father and a servant his master. And if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And then he's going to run down their sins. They present defiled food upon the altar. They despise the table. They present the blind for sacrifice. They, in other words, they forget everything that has happened. Now, why is this important? Well, because we just mentioned that we were 518, 520 with Haggai and Zechariah. Well, good old Malachi here is around 430-something. So I'll give you 435, 437, somewhere in that ballpark. You may be wondering, well, why is that a big deal? Well, because it's been almost 100 years. And oh, how quickly do we fall apart, Israel. Oh, how quickly do we forsake all that he has promised, all that he has done. And how quickly do we return to all that we are and all that we would desire? Because 
We forget that he creates and he sustains and he preserves and we demand that we be followed. Cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. We've seen that throughout the prophecies, haven't we? The warning that the judgment is coming upon what? All sin. All sin where? Everywhere. This is the commandment for you, O priests, if you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings, and indeed, I have cursed them already. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why? Because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave him to him as an object of reverence, so he revered and stood in awe of my name. You ever wonder what goes on in the history of the intertestamental period and why it occurs? You're seeing it in action. That despite the discipline of the exile, despite the mercy of the rebuilding of the temple, but despite the grace of the priestly offices resuming and continuing, despite all of that work, this people is broken because people are broken and their only hope is in God and not themselves. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings and righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Do you understand Peter a little bit better now? Chosen race, the royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. It's a fulfillment. Malachi is warning of the fulfillment of that, that God will bring about. That the people need to be purified, but the people can't purify themselves. It is God who will work. He will change their heart. He will renew their minds, and they will then offer their lives, 1 Corinthians 10, Colossians 3, Romans 12, as sacrifices, as priests, because of the work of the high priest, Hebrews 4. These things matter because the foundations matter. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Almost like we're going to separate the sheep from the goats, the right from the left. And there's going to be a differentiation between walking faithfully, and walking as the world. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be the chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, 
the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Sound familiar? Sound like what we would long for? Because that's what God has promised. That's what God is delivering. The prophetic ministry is not new. It's a reminder of the redemptive work that God has accomplished from the very beginning. The picture of Exodus is not a physical people delivered. It's a spiritual people redeemed. That's what his entire work has been about. That's why God has done everything that he has done, so that the Son be glorified, so that a holy and righteous people be presented to the Father. How will they get there? They will get there because God will accomplish, because he is the creator, and we are accountable to him. And he alone has the power to preserve his people. And he will save and redeem his people, and he will judge his enemies. And he will be faithful to all that he has promised, and he will accomplish everything that he has prophesied because he is patient and precise. And therefore, we can trust that our brokenness will be healed and that our wrong will be set right because he is the one who will do all of these things. So whatever you learned here today, children, God will never forsake his people. God's plan cannot be overcome, and God's timing is where we rest. We would like it to be now, but even if it is not, we settle where he has put us. Fun, huh? Told you this is making sense. This is, these are the tools you need to help read your Bible and make sense of everything in context. So take the tools, open the toolbox, put them to work. Till we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.